and turn them to James, James chapter 1. We come back to this marvelous letter, and we actually get the chance to start the letter uh, and discuss this morning what God has to say about the trials that we endure. And so we're going to look at our, our focus this morning on verses 2 through 4. And I titled this morning's message, When Trials Hit Home. When Trials Hit Home. I want to read those verses for us and then we will pray and then dive in. James says, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, Father, we need your divine assistance this morning as we come to this passage. I think we could correctly say that often we, as your people, would look and possibly even wish that this passage didn't exist in the scriptures. And yet, in your wisdom, your divine wisdom that you have given to us in your word, this is how we are to face the trials that we will encounter. And so thank you. Thank you for not, not leaving us in the dark. And even for the things that often are hard and yet so refreshing to our own souls that they lead to further faithfulness in your hands. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at this passage, may you use it to change the way we view and think through the trials that we are going through. That we would respond in such a way that puts on display your faithfulness in our lives. Guide us now. Give us great understanding and even more a great resolve to apply this to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So we come back to the letter of James. And James um, wastes no time to further introduce himself. As we saw, the introduction was in that first verse of himself. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives us who he's writing to. And then immediately jumps into the topic that everyone faces. Believers and unbelievers alike. And if you remember, James purpose in writing this letter is to show that true saving faith in a believer's life will show itself in their conduct and in their pursuit of holiness and obedience. It focuses on ungodly behavior more than just mere knowledge of salvation. It is, it is the actual outworking of what God has done on the inside, the outworking in our lives practically on the outside. And so the focus of James is obedience to Christ. And thus, as I've titled this whole series of our time in the book of James, Life Under the Lord, Lordship of Jesus Christ, faith is demonstrated in our actions. 
true saving faith shows how that is true by the way we live in obedience to the God who has changed us, changed us and transformed us. And as I said, the first topic that James deals with is the topic of suffering. So, so let me ask you the question real quick, and, and you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are in a suffering right now, or in a trial? How many of you are, have just passed a trial? How many of you think you're getting prepared for a trial? Because all of those could be happening in each other's lives at one point or another. There is no exception as a matter of fact, Job's friend, Ilphaz, rightly said, For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward in Job 5.7. It is true, suffering is going to hit everybody who lives in this sin-cursed world. But Paul said to Timothy that indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in 2 Timothy 3.12. And so in a general way, Ilfa says, all people who live in this world will encounter troubles. But Paul says that believers are not exempt by troubles. And that's what I think often hinders us from responding in a worshipable way that we are designed to. Because oftentimes we hear and we think that if you come to Christ, everything in your life is going to go great. Everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to want to be your best friend. And really in reality, what ends up happening often is that those whom you thought were your friends are not really your friends Instead, the people of God become your friends and your family that you spend time with and grow with and really do life with. It is, it is the preciousness of, of other believers who have been saved by grace. God takes those trials and uses Him for your glory. As a matter of fact, as a believer, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what you are promised is a life of still suffering, but instead suffering being used by the hand of God for His glory and your good. It's not a, I'm, I'm going to be wealthy, happy, and healthy life. James debunks that lie. He says, no, you're going to encounter these, not if, but when there's going to be a time. And so either you are preparing for one, you are in the midst of a trial, or you have just come out of a trial. One way or the other, you're going to always be facing a trial. Well, this verse reveals to us, and James tells us that, that there's no escaping trial, trials. All believers will face them. And the question is not, again, if... You will face trials. But when you fall into a trial, the question is, how will you respond? What will be the response of your life? Isn't, is it your desire to say, Lord, I want to honor you through this, but it is hard? Or is it the response, 
God, why are you putting me through this? I thought you were supposed to be good. I thought I was supposed to receive all the the awesome blessings. James, I love it. Because in his own fashion, in the way that God has shaped him and, 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 and molded him and saved him, goes to the heart issue right away. And I love that because James is way different than John. <laughs> John, John seems to me to be more uh, of an older uh, spiritual father when we're reading his letters, when we're reading the Gospel of John, the, the, the last living apostle. And you almost hear, you hear, you hear beloved children um, in his tone. James is not like that. And that is good. You see that God has shaped them and preserved them, and it reflects in their writing. James, still a shepherd at heart, but a shepherd who is concerned for the faithfulness of God's people in the midst of suffering for Christ. And he is urgent. He writes and he gets down to business because souls are at stake. The glory of the Master who has purchased us demands such urgency. And so, I love that as we go through the book of James, you will hear a different tone than than we have been used to in John. Here we have a man who cannot fathom that he now has the privilege of being a slave of Christ. Friends, that is the call of us as well. And so James reminds all believers in us that, that we have the responsibility and privilege of honoring God in the ways that the pagan world would not be able to do so. And so in these verses, in verses one, uh, 2 to 12, he gives us four godly responses to trials that, one, demonstrate the authenticity. I have to hear it again. Somebody say that to me. Authenticity. authenticity. Thank you. Man, that's like a tongue twister there. <laughs> of our faith in Christ. But it also grows in us a spiritual st- stability that allows us to be more faithful to him in this life and in the circumstances that God has given us to go through. This is how we must respond. Now this morning, we're only going to focus on one of those godly responses. Two through four. And then we will come back. So, so, so make sure that you come back for the rest of it and don't leave and say, man, that's tough. It is. But there's a whole lot more there. In a couple of weeks, we will come back and we will address... The other ones, or one, then, depending. And what we got to remember this is this. Trials in the hands of our sovereign God, who is good and who is wise, brings about a spiritual harvest that nothing else in this world can manufacture. God alone can put us through the fire and refine us as gold and use us in a great way for his glory. And one of those ways is how we respond 
to trials. And so the first godly response that we're going to consider is, is this. You need to rejoice in the purpose of God in your trials. You need to rejoice in the purpose of God in your trials. Now this might be similar to what you already heard, the privilege of uh, the believers who were suffering um, uh, when Peter was writing, which was way later. Um, James, remember, was the first New Testament book uh, at the early church written to mostly a Jewish audience. Peter writing later on, also writing about honoring God in the midst of suffering. Well, James says this. He says, in order for you to have a godly response, you need to rejoice in the purpose of God in your sufferings. You see, when we understand that trials have a purpose in the child of God, we're able to cultivate an attitude of joy. In other words, how we think about trials will shape the way you act, whether it is in hope and in despair. And for the believer... Trials are used of God as a great revealer of what is inside of us that still needs to be pruned by His loving hand. So how do we rejoice in the purpose of God in our trials? You do so first by obeying His Word. By obeying His Word. In other words, it is not optional of what James gives us here. Even though it is hard. And even though you might have heard this over and over again. As I prayed. Remember reading this week. And considering. One of the writers as they were looking at this saying. Man I wish this verse wasn't here. (laughs) But how many of us. Is it true that that often is the case. When we are going through trials and suffering. James says. You need to consider it all joy. And you notice that by looking at verse 2. He says, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. This is the, the, the first command that you have in this passage. And the idea of consider speaks of something that, you, uh, of, of something that is calculated. It speaks of a mental evaluation. It is of using of your mind to actively assess your trial based on facts, not the way you feel. It is speaking here of pondering or to regard. It's like what you do when you fix a car. If you have a problem with your car, you, well, some of you might be like, ah, I don't know what to do, and run around your car like, like a chicken with its head cut off, right? But for most of you who know how to fix cars, or at least know, hey, something's wrong, I've got to take it to somebody else who knows how to fix it, like Matt, um, or, or, or Doug. I basically probably had anybody else here except for myself and Brian. Um, <laughs> but if there's a problem with your car, you, 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 you open the hood and you think about it. What's, what's going on? You ponder, you, you, what's the issue? If you see smoke coming out, if you see liquids leaking, you, you, you consider what is there. You're pondering, you're thinking about it, and then you formulate a plan on how to fix it. 
Or uh, consider, this is what you do, ladies, when, when often, or even men, when you bake something yummy. You, even if you have the recipe memorized, you still have to think. You still have to calculate. There, there's a process that you must go through. You, you automatically do this. You already turn on the oven, right? You preheat the oven, so it's already going on. And, and it just there is a process that you have thought about before. It's not a, an emotional reaction as if, let's just throw every, all the ingredients in there. It doesn't matter what or, or how we measure them. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I have. Thinking that maybe a little bit of this and more of that is better. So the more sugar, but if you forget the eggs, it's not going to turn out good. I mean, so it's just, it's just it's, there's a process that you're thinking about. And James says that when we're coming to trials, we are using our minds and we are considering it's not an emotional reaction as if God is not on His throne, as if God is not aware of it. By the way, when you pray about the trials, don't don't inform God that what is going on. He already knows, but we often do that. God, man, my car broke down. And it's like, God's like, what? Are you kidding me? No way. Instead, say, God, thank you for this opportunity that you have given to me now in this moment to be able to consider this and this process that you're going to use in my life to cultivate spiritual stability. And then you... As we will go through here, you continue to pray. But this is the idea here. You obey His word. This is a command. You use your mind. And, and if you're not in a trial, this is a, a proactive response. You're preparing yourself um, um, for how to respond when it happens. There is hope here because at the end, as we consider verse 12, trials will one day all be Gone. All suffering will end. And you will not have that opportunity to worship God in this unique way when you are in heaven. Here, they are used by God for cultivating spiritual strength in our lives. So what are we to to count as all joy, my brother? He says here, when you encounter various trials... You can consider this, this command again. This command is a command because for most people it is not a natural response to trials. It is a command to to consider this, to to begin every time you fall into a trial. Instead, it is built in, in our sinful humanity that trials are seen as horrible. Or maybe because God just doesn't like you and He's playing some horrible tricks on you. Yet James is speaking here about the kind of attitude one is supposed to have towards trial. And this, my friends, only applies... To believers. Only a believer can actually apply what is here and must apply what is here. James says this, he consider all joy my brethren. You see, an unbeliever is still, as we've learned from Job, is going to go through trials and suffering. But that is not the worst part about their life. 
as horrific as the circumstance is in their life, the most horrific situation that they are facing is the fact that they are in rebellion against a holy God. And that they need to be rescued from their sin. And that can only happen by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. This, therefore, transforms our lives. This application of this truth can only happen and must happen to believers. This social attitude must be exhibited in each trial. That is why James says, all and not some. Or, that the tri- only, or only that the trials that are joyful, which I have never encountered, quote, a joyful trial in that sense, But rather, it is a disposition in your heart to regard a trial as joy every time you encounter one. Each trial must be mentally evaluated. You're seeing this particular trial through God's eyes, and you're choosing to obey Him rather than your feelings. But what does James mean by joy? What does James mean by joy? It is looking on trials as a welcomed friend. Because of the purpose that God will accomplish in the midst of these trials for those who trust in Him and obey Him. And again, the focus is thinking in this way. It it must affect your attitude. Uh, The the two words that are used in this context is verse 1, consider, and then 3, Verse 3, knowing. The, 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 the thought of this trial in this way, with this attitude, affects how we respond. And as a Christian, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit to enable you to honor the Lord in your trials. And so you are to choose joy in the trial, even though it may not be pleasant. It's not talking about carrying a smiley face. But it also doesn't mean that you're walking around hopeless. My friends, you serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you are His slave. And as His slave, one of the greatest privileges is that the Master takes care of all the needs of His slave. You have to choose joy in the midst of trial even though it is not very pleasant. Why? Because biblical joy is a response to God and not your circumstance. That's why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12.2 can say about our Lord, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The Lord Jesus didn't carry this smiley face or act like it was no big deal. As a matter of fact, remember when in John 12, in the preparation as he was going to go to Passion Week, he says, my soul is in anguish. Go there for a second. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This is the last time that the Lord carries his public ministry. Remember, he has already... Um, of taught everything that he needed to while he was here on earth to the mass amount of people with complete rejection to who he was. And yet, 
he comes in and he says this in verse 27. He says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And notice that there was an anguish of soul. Anguish of heart. Considering what he was about to do. But also notice that there was a resolve to honor and glorify the Father. He knew God the Father's purpose, and he had to resolve, uh, he had resolved to glorify him in all that he would go through. And so James, in a similar way, is saying we need to choose in the midst of trial to obey God in a joyful response because we have thought correctly about trials. It's like temptation, which we will cover that topic beginning in verse 13. The battle is always in our thinking. It's always in the mind. What we're dwelling on, what we're listening to, what we're preaching to ourselves, that, that inner voice. Have you ever had that inner voice? Where you're sitting there talking to yourself. And, and it, could, it could be good things about who God is and therefore gives hope or that inner voice that says everybody has abandoned me God has abandoned me he doesn't care he doesn't love me look at how terrible these things are and depending on how we're preaching and what we're preaching to ourselves and what we're listening to can either lead to hope or despair And so the battle is in the mind. And so therefore, James says, this is how you are to think about trials. This is how you are to cultivate. This gives us great hope because when God gives us a command in Scripture, my friends, He also gives us the grace that as we commit to obey it, He Himself will also give us the will to obey it. Most of the time people count their trials as joy when we escape a trial. But here James is exhorting his readers to count it as joy in the midst of the trial. Not because you love the trial. One, one commentator puts it this way. He says the trial itself is not called a joy, but the encounter is. Or just say it another way. You could say this, count it only joy or nothing but joy. And it really boils down to a deep-seated confidence in God. And what He will do to bring Himself glory. Peter says that when we suffer and endure with patience, this finds favor with God. 1 Peter 2.20 And the context again uh, is suffering for righteousness at the hands of of others. But Jesus promised that we will encounter trials. In John chapter 15, going back to um, my favorite gospel, John chapter 15, though I used to say that about Mark, but now, now John definitely is up there. 
John 15, 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep your words. If it happens to Christ, it will happen to you. And then in chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. Critical, right? Because right after this, he goes into the high priestly prayer, and that is it. And then he faces the cross. And yet he says this, In this world you have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome this world. There, there is our hope. There is our, our, our stamina. And when we think of trials in this way, we are able to obey God's word. Warren Worsby says this, Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. But also consider that Jesus also gave this kind of instruction to not only his people, but also those who were around him. In the Sermon on the Mount. Remember I told you that we were going to make some connections back to the Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says in verse 10, He says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for their kingdom, for, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice this. What should be the response of the believer when that happens? Rejoice and be glad for two things. One, your reward in heaven is great. Second, for in the same way the They persecuted the prophets who were before you. By the way, if they're persecuting you because of righteousness, because of Christ, that demonstrates too, just like it did for the prophets, that you belong to God. You're doing something right. So suffering that comes from persecution demonstrates to a believer that he truly knows the Lord. But go back to James. Go back to James. When, when, when do we apply this verse? Well, the answer is given to us. Consider all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various tiles. Here, here we're given the time. And notice it's, it says when. That is to say the trials will come. The moment you became a believer, this is exactly what is going to happen in your life. You need to arm yourself with that thinking. If you've forgotten or if you've gotten comfortable with this life or you've thought that God owed you more because you maybe gave more money to Him or you've been following Him, you're wrong. It's wrong thinking again. Here He says, Again, he doesn't say if, as if trials may, may become, but when, and signifying that trials are sure to happen. And so don't fall for the 
prosperity gospel. Sometimes we can fall for that without even thinking that we are, quote, followers of a prosperity gospel. But we can think that, why am I not healthy? I've taken care of my body so well, and now I have cancer? My, my bones don't work? I, 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 I've taken care of my vehicles, and now the transmission fell apart? <laughs> It's, it's like if I've done my part, then God's going to do His part and make sure everything's going to work out great. But that's not the case. This is exactly what James is talking about. And it debunks the heresy that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That is not true. James says, no, you need to consider all joy when you encounter various trials. Trials will come. But how do they come? Notice, literally, James says, when you fall into, literally fall into various trials. Though the word uh, encounter speaks of something unexpected, something that you did not, have, did not plan for, something that you did not uh, foresee. By the way, you will never foresee everything that you think you can plan for. <laughs> that is the point of considering our joy when you encounter various trials. It is something that you fall into. And Luke chapter 10 verse 30 helps us to understand the idea. This is the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is telling the, uh, the parable and showing that, the, that a man that was going to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, literally encountered or fell among robbers. That's the same idea. He, he wasn't planning for that to happen. He, he didn't think that that was even possible to happen. They came out in an unexpected time, in an unexpected place, and captured him or hurt him without him knowing or expecting that that would happen. And this is exactly what James says. How do, how, how do these trials come about? They come about um, unexpectedly. This is what happens with trials. So the command applies to, to any circumstance, at any time, in any situation. Now this is not dealing with trials that come because of our sin. These are trials that are, that are outside or outward trials that come upon us. We will, we, will, we will deal with inward temptations in verse 13. And sometimes when we don't handle the trials that come on the outside like this, we can fall and give into temptation inwardly and sin against our God. Well, what types of trials will one encounter? A word, notice this. When you encounter various, various. The word literally means multicolored. And so it's different. Normally you think of a trial as a catastrophe. A death of a loved one. A, a, a car accident. A flood of a whole uh, 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 city. And we think, man, those are, those are, those are trials, those are suffering. But it, here, this, 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 this word makes it so that all the things that 
bring the right pressure of God in our lives are considered outwardly that we encounter, that we weren't preparing for, are considered trials. It can be small things. It can be big things. It can be medium things. It can be the fact that your doorknob broke again for the hundredth time, even though you replaced it, and the manufacturer that you spent three hours talking on the phone says, that's your fault. It can be that. Two, as I said earlier, Something wrong with your car that you've taken care of. Or it can be a, a, a loss of a job, a, a health issue that you have encountered that does not change. be a loss of a loved one. Everything, James says, all of those trials are to be considered as joy. As a matter of fact, he says various Trials, trials, plural, meaning, meaning here, trials are the things that, that, that test us and, and, and prove us. The, the, the plural, there's a great variety of trials. These come from outward circumstances you encounter in your life. There are external trials of suffering in contrast, as we said, to internal temptations. These trials are not brought on by our sin. And so James says they will occur in every Christian's life at some time or another. They're diverse. They're, 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 they vary. Each person encounters different trials. And, it, and though it might be maybe something similar that you have gone through, it's still different and unique for you. Tailor-made uh, uh, for each individual believer. And so it is in the midst of these very trials that we are to have an attitude of joy. And so you rejoice in the purpose of God in your trials by obeying His Word. In other words, this is not an optional response. It's critical that you think rightly about trials and that you cultivate the right attitude as you are preparing yourself. So, so even right now, maybe you don't have other things that, that are seriously going on or even some of those trials that you consider them as, as a trial. But in this moment, you need to prepare yourself. Oh Lord, help me to respond in this way and not sin against you. Because I tell you this, if you do not prepare yourself to think this way, you will gravitate to the ruts that you have created in the past and to its default mode and you will fall down the same path and you will respond again. And then at the end you'll say, Lord, how did we get here? Friends, don't be surprised or live in fear about trials, but arm yourself to think in this way. And then keep, keep verse 12 in mind. I can't wait till we get to that verse. I haven't already have taught and actually preached through this section before, not only here, but even other places. And just to think through this verse has been so vital to my soul. One day God will end all trials. And yet now you have a unique way of worshiping Him. And so you don't get a free pass. You don't get to collect at, uh, when, you, when you pass go. Instead, you have the privilege of worshiping God by thinking rightly about your trials. So we need to obey 
who rejoice in the purpose of God in your trials by obeying His word. Number two, uh, rejoice in the, in the purpose of God in your trials by embracing His goal. His goal. And this is what you see in verse 3. We regard trials as joy because we are constantly aware that God has a goal. So it's never meaningless or purposeless of the things that you are going through. Never. Trials bring about great spiritual value. And again, notice what he says in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This word knowing gives us the grounds by which the command is given in verse 2. In other words, here we're given uh, the reason why we are to consider it joy. It's what you know God is doing with the trials. It is embracing His goal in that trial. You consider it all joy since you know that it produces endurance in you. And here the idea of, of knowing is, is to come to, to a full understanding, often even more than just an intellectual uh, 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 assess, assessment. Yes. <laughs> uh, thinking about it merely just as a theoretical thing in your mind, it actually has more of full understanding by personal experience. It's like what happens when, before as a kid, you had no idea. You had no idea what it was like to be married. You had no idea um, of the work. And you had no idea what it was like to even be a parent. And then all of a sudden, you get married, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa. There's a lot of work here. Yeah. And then you have kids, and then all of a sudden you sit there and you go, Oh my, I know exactly now what my parents are going through. Why? Wow, you gain that from, from, from personal experience. You, you're understanding further. And this is exactly what James is talking about. This is this, you know this by the, the personal experience you have with God through His Word. I mean, just consider your own life. How many of you can say that you have grown? The most in your Christian walk by sitting and watching memes or shorts or playing video games on your phone or by having a pain-free life. None of us. As a matter of fact, when we talk with each other and we share, we, we talk about how those are actually a distraction to keep us from doing what we should be doing. <laughs> or even thinking the way we should be thinking. It, it, is, it is in trials that, that you pray more. It is in trials that you read your Bible more. It is in trial that you desperately cry out to God to help you, give you strength, to have confidence in Him. It, it brings about humility, not pride. And it brings about a, a sober-mindedness to think rightly and consider those things that you're facing with great joy. It is knowing by experience because you have uh, um, been mastered by the scriptures, mastered by the word, to use Rick Thomas's word, mastered by the word of God. That you can trust the God of the Bible. That when you read your Bible, you see time and time again the faithfulness of God, even when his people are faithless. You know that if he was faithful in the past, he can be trusted in the midst of this trial and will sustain you and even enable you through the Holy Spirit to be obedient to his word no matter what. It is knowing that 
that you can consider it all joy. Well, notice this. You need to embrace His goal, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And what are we to know? Uh, Here, He says the testing of your faith The word testing speaks of the process or the means of determining the genuineness of their faith. Trials reveal, in other words, what a a believer truly is made of. Where your hope is in. Where your confidence is in. I get to say that often, man, there's a lot there that I do not like to see. There's often so much in there. I'm like, man, and this is my, I'm sharing what goes on in my mind as I'm facing some of the things. I'm a pastor. I shouldn't be going through this. I should know how to respond rightly. It's like, nope. I should know better. And in reality, yes, I should know better. But often I'm so self-focused that I respond not in joy, but rather selfish sin. I make everything about me. And trials reveal that. Spurgeon says that trials teach us what we are. Dig up the soil and let us see what we're made of. (laughs) It also implies that there is something genuine in us that will survive this testing of faith. So it's not that that it's going to just say, if you're encountering trials, then therefore you're not a Christian. That's not the, the idea. The rather, it's what's bringing out in those trials. One commentator said James was making the point that the presence of trials in the lives of believers refines their faith so that what is false can be stripped away. And the genuine part that continues to trust God will develop victorious, positive endurance. And so this is what we are to know. This is why we are to embrace His goal in these trials. And when we do that, we're going to rejoice in the purpose of God in trials. We're going to consider it all joy. Because it is doing something in our lives. And notice what James says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It means that trials continue in our lives until they accomplish God's purpose in our lives. It, it brings about God's goal. And what, do, what does God want to accomplish in the believer's life? Uh, James calls it here endurance. Endurance. Hupomone. It's a great word. He will use it over and over again in this letter. Hupomone. It's a compound word. Hupo meaning um, under and money, the, 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 the verb means to, to stay, to abide, or to stand fast. And so, hupa money means to stand strong under the pressure. This is what trials are producing in the life of a believer. It is a capacity, as one dictionary says, to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. It produces endurance. 
It produces steadfastness. It produces perseverance. It produces strength. It's like a blacksmith who takes a piece of steel to to forge a sword and puts it under the fire and and, and the pressure and the heat uh, uh, make the, the steel moldable, fashioned by the blacksmith to then later come out as a strong steel. Unbreakable. Usable. The word steadfast, uh, endurance, it speaks of steadfastness. It speaks, it speaks of fortitude, perseverance, faithfulness, uh, persistence, or, or tenacity. Kent Hughes uses the word spiritual toughness. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Or, or, or staying power. It's a positive word. It's a word that, that, that speaks of you don't just fall apart. That's the goal of, of, of trials, to do that in your life. James, later on in James chapter 5, uses this to speak of Job. He says, we count those blessed who endured. And you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. My friends, the Lord is always full of compassion and merciful to you and I when He brings about trials in our lives. Trials are producing strength, not in ourselves, but in God. And therefore, it brings a resolve to glorify God in a situation. This is not a, 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 a passive accomplishment, a, a resigning of saying, well, I guess this is my lot in life, might as well give, give up. No, that's, that's not what he's talking about. It is a, a battle-ready mindset that produces, that, 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 that trials produce. You, you're ready to engage in war. And, and often when we are facing trials, it is that. It's war in our hearts and our minds and our affections. We have to... Uh, uh, Force our thinking to think rightly. We have to battle with our thoughts, and it is exactly that. And in war, you can't sit back and hope for someone that will do the job for you. You you must get up and do what God has called you to do, and that you have been training for. And so trials, we can consider all joy, and we can rejoice in in this by embracing his goal that it produces a steadfastness. Again, J.C. Ryle says trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. And when that happens, over and over, we begin to develop a a spiritual tenacity, a spiritual toughness that the next trial that we encounter, we can can know that God was faithful in that one. We can honor Him this next one. And not worry about what is to come. And it's just like, 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 I was thinking about this last night as I was talking to my wife through this. And just remember when, when our kids were walking, learning how to walk. 
you know, you're holding them and they're like sitting there, you know, a little like they're drunk. You know, it's like their legs are kind of all over the place. And then they're just kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're like, dude, what's going on? And so you're kind of scared. And you, some of you might have gotten like I did, grab a towel or something like that. And, you know, and hopefully you have it in the right place. Because if you pull a towel too high, it might go. Whoosh. But not that that happened to our kids, but it could happen. I'm just saying. But there's just, there's just this wobbliness, right? And if we shielded him from that, and if we were fearful that that's going to happen, we would stunt the, their, their ability to grow. It is those trials when they fall, and they get up, and they, they have the nurturing of their parent, and the encouragement that's coming on, that all of a sudden, it's like little by little, they start taking steps. And little by little, they're growing. And little by little, they're, they're planting their feet. And what was hard at first now has seemed to be something that is easy and secondhand. And pretty soon they're running and you wish you never taught them how to, how to walk in the first place. It's, it's like the athlete. You, you don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to run a marathon unless you're, you're Michael and Malachi. That, that, that could happen. Very rare though. But you don't. You don't wake up and do that. You'll die. It takes time and it takes training. And it is going through that process of training that pretty soon it develops a, a, a toughness that you can do more and a little bit more and a little bit more to be able to get to the goal. This is what trials are doing. This is God's goal in those trials. So that you wouldn't be a, a, an infant in Christ, but rather, as I prayed, a redwood in the midst of whatever storm God would bring to your life. And you can be helpful, not only to your own soul, but also to others. And Paul says this in Romans 5.3, he says, Not only this, but we also exalt in a tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about hupomone, perseverance. It is that that brings about proven character. Trials don't mature you. Trials are designed to bring about endurance. And so you rejoice in the purpose of God in your trials by obeying His word. You rejoice in the purpose of God in trials by embracing His goal. And finally, you rejoice in, in, in God's purpose in your trials by pursuing His stability. You see, God values character as more important than comfort. He tells us that. Even Jesus in the upper room, again, coming back to John and considering um, Jesus is shepherding instructions to his disciples. And, and, and the last I am statement in John 15, remember what Jesus said about himself and what he does to his people? He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. So even, not only are the branches that are dead, they need to be cut off so that you can have other healthier branches and all the, the right uh, nutrients are going to the right branches, but even those things that are bearing fruit, he says, he prunes. A, a difficult process, if you will, if you were considering the analogy of that happening to us. Prunes it so that what? you will bear more fruit. 
And so to be molded and shaped and pruned by God Himself should be for us an honor. And as we are uh, 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 mining ourselves and reminding ourselves of what God does, we consider it joy by obeying that command, but also embracing His goal and then pursuing His stability. And notice, this is exactly what James says. And let endurance, the endurance that this trial is producing in you, let that endurance have its perfect result. It's not here saying, talking about permission. This is actually another command, the second command that we've come to. And it actually serves as a warning that we must submit to the process God brings God brings the uh, submit to the process of, the, uh, of God bringing spiritual stability, stability and spiritual toughness. Let it have its perfect result, or literally work in our lives. Let it let it accomplish what God has intended for it to accomplish in your life. One pastor compared it to freeing a butterfly from its chrysalis. Stage, And therefore, from the struggling of liberating himself, he says, if you do that, you destroy its life. Why? Because it will never develop the strength to soar as it should. Incredible. That's the thought. Let endurance have its perfect work. It's completed work. Let it be fully developed. See, God knows exactly what He's doing. And so we let steadfastness and fortitude and endurance work and reach His goal to build spiritual tenacity in our lives. Why? Why does He say that? He says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Two great words. Perfect and complete. Same word already that He's given let endurance have its perfect result. Speaking here of being fully developed, fully grown, it refers again to, to spiritual maturity, and not to sinlessness, but to spiritual maturity. John Calvin calls this maturity of grace. Again, the reason God allows difficulties to come about in our lives is to cultivate a fortitude and perseverance which brings maturity. In other words, God seeks to, to, to fully develop in us in every area of life. And trials are the means by which this occurs as it brings about this endurance. And isn't that the case as you scan the pages of Scripture? Just think of the, 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 the Pentateuch, the, the, the first five books, and you consider the characters in which God is making we come to, to Genesis uh, 37 through 50, and we see and we read the story of Joseph. You're like, oh man, that guy was a, a man of God. You know how many years he was sold into slavery, and all that happened before he actually became the, God, the man whom God would use to preserve his nation and fulfill his covenant? 20. <laughs> 20 years, 19, 20 years of enduring those trials. And there were places where he was faithful. 
As you could ask, where are you, God, in his life? And everywhere in the text, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And so every single thing that God brought upon Joseph brought him to the humility at the end so that when he can look at his brothers and says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. That is just one example. You can say that about Moses. You can say that about David. David, again, uh, even, even when God had already called him and set him apart in 1 Samuel 16, which uh, uh, Pastor Brian's going to get there soon, and anointed him a king, it was 20 years that before he became king and he endured all the suffering at the hands of, of Saul for doing what was right. What did that do? It forged the man fit for and usefulness for the master's hands. This is exactly what James is saying. He says, let it, let endurance have his perfect result. Why? Why? What's that? Uh, uh, to, to pursue his stability is this one? So that you will be fully developed, fully grown. Be perfect. And notice this again, incomplete. It's different than perfect here. It means to meet all expectations. Complete. No part lacking. The word is used often of a sacrificial animal without defects. Suitable for what it was designed for. John Calvin says, refers to this as no grace being wanting. They were to be like men fully grown and not maimed or mutilated, but having all their members complete. This is the pursuit of stability. Ken Hughes again says this. He says, It is commonly taught that trials bring maturity, but it is not so. Rather, fortitude and perseverance in times of testing produce maturity. In troubled times, we must practice spiritual toughness as we endure trials of many kinds, economic stress, disappointments, criticism, domestic pressures, uh, persecutions for our faith, illness. The multiple facets of our being are being touched with grace. This is what God is accomplishing in our trials. A spiritual toughness over and over Again, And so, friends, God means to develop fully grown believers who are rich not only in knowledge of who He is, but also in character. So that we're no longer babes in Christ, but have been trained in the school of suffering to honor and glorify Him. And so when you encounter trials and suffering in your life of whatever sort that you, God may see fit for you, Rejoice in the purpose of God in your trials. Obey His word. Embrace His goal. Pursue His stability. Think rightly. It's not meaningless, but purposeful. Not, it's in, in really, at the end of the day, it is light, as Paul says, momentary affliction, and yet it does not compare to the glory that is to come. 
It, it could be severe and it could hurt. And it is uh, uh, to the gut. Takes seems like everybody has taken the insides and thrown them the outsides. And we're just struggling and we are uh, uh, crying. And at times we just blow it. But my friends, God's grace is sufficient. You are a slave of Christ. And if you are committed to honoring Him, and if you're committed to do that, He's going to produce this joy in you, this steadfastness, this spiritual toughness, that you would be so helpful not only to your own soul and be a joy, and people would ask you, what is the hope that you have? Because they have never seen that. But also, you'd be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, as Paul Tripp says, I think that's the right guy, in his book, to love and serve others in this church and in this world around us. Way different, way different than even what I had thought, having previously studied this, coming back to now and saying, wow. Friends, this is what the school of suffering helps us to gain in our lives for the glory of God. It also, not only do you need to think rightly about this, but also, uh, don't, don't go out. This is not calling you to go out and seek suffering and persecution, okay? There was this thing in the past, and actually throughout church history, where people thought it was more uh, God-honoring and holy that I'm just going to go and, and, and seek this out. My friends, it's going to come to you. <laughs> That's the promise that we're having here in James. It will come. And you don't have to go out and seek it. That's not what he's talking about. It's not more holy to do that. Rather, respond the way that God has you. Respond to all that you encounter. But use this also to prepare your heart and pray to God and for each other. My friends, face the trials in your life with trust in the God who is always with you. Whom you belong to who does not make mistakes, even if your pain does not go away. One day, it will. And that's our hope. This is only one part, one part, of how we are to face trials. More to come. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to again be nourished in our souls with your word. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we approach trials in this way, that we be very useful in your hands to fashion spiritual stability and endurance in our lives so that the hope that we have in Christ might be seen to all and you would get the glory. In Jesus' name I pray.